When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I thought I might do later on, I might just go, you know what? Obviously, you've got loads of people you want to get on this. Mm -hmm. So why don't we try We could even try and put a super group together at some point. Yeah, I'm done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There ain't no rules. That's the exciting thing. Just what is it that you want to do? You've had three hours sleep. You have the most epic dry mouth. And your body feels like it's been shot out of a cannon into a car park. Yet, ignore the damp leaky tent. Because there's something in the air. No, not the chemical fecal tang of the portaloos. A tingling sensation, if you like, of extreme anticipation. Because you know you've arrived at the greatest f***ing day of your life. One, two, oh my God, the emotion. We've wrangled some of the world's most awesome music heroes to share with us who they'd pick to be in their dream festival lineup. I'm Sean Keaveney, and if you haven't figured it out already, this is the lineup. Like, why are you pretending we're at a resort and we're not? We're running out of men. We're running out of men. <laughs> By the time I was a teenager, I had successfully taught myself how to underachieve at school and cook oven chips. But our next guest was even more impressive. From teaching herself guitar and piano and bass, Joy Crooks then started uploading covers of herself singing and playing. She's been doing this since she was 13. No wonder she's such a pro nearly 10 years on. She uses her voice to give voice to others who might not have one. She writes songs that make a difference. And she's a kick-ass Irish dancer. Something else we've got in common. And in lockdown, she taught her cat how to sit and lie down. What did you do? That's it. Nothing. I don't want to put any more pressure on having the name Joy and she must also have, but of course it's an utter pleasure to bring you all the Bangladeshi Irish joy that is Joy Crooks. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. I feel like I'm just going to like underwhelm everyone no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> you, I'm already overwhelmed, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why, uh, not just by your very presence, uh, your incandescent presence, but the fact that this is the first time that I have done an in-person interview since before pandemic. Not so, the pandemic. The pandemic, the pandemical situation. <laughs> so I don't think I've, had, I've I've sat in a room and talked to somebody on mic since March 2020. Oh wow! So it's it's quite. So I would go as far as to say it's an emotional moment because it feels like a step into a new direction. You know what I mean? Like and a, away from Zoom. Away from Zoom, <sighs> which could only be a good thing, surely. Oh my gosh! But then I did say to to Natalie, the producer. You know, it's all well and good, but do you think we could do it on Zoom anyway? Just like sitting next to each other, but looking at each other on a screen. Just... That cause, that, I feel like that sounds like um, detachment issues, if we're going to go for a diagnosis. <laughs> I didn't realise, amongst all your talents, you're, all, you're also quite a talented psychiatrist, and you're going to, this is essentially going to be Sean on the couch now. Sean, how long have you been feeling this way? Well, I've been feeling very attached to Zoom now, <laughs> since about July 2020, and uh, I even, I used to speak to my wife on, on Zoom. Um, <laughs> Even though she's in, in the same room. 
and my children. I, I had, uh, we'll, we'll do a quick COVID chat. I got COVID at Christmas last year, just be, like on the 22nd of December. And so I had to speak to my children on Zoom and stuff. And my youngest one's only a baby, so she wasn't that bothered either way. But it was it was a harrowing experience. I but can you, imagine. You've, you've had it at least once, haven't you? Yes, I had it in March and I told everyone to stay away from me. March last year, actually, just at the very beginning of the first lockdown. An early adopter of it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was doing, that week I got it, I had six gigs in one week. So it was kind of like, you know, if we did the maths, yeah, the probability was high. That you were going to be in a room with somebody who might pass that yeah. virus on to you. Yeah. It's a high-risk situation playing gigs, isn't it, in, in a viral sense? Yeah. But um, and we'll, I guess we'll we'll circle back round to that because was that would that have been the last time you did lots of gigs one after the other? March, yeah. Last year. March last year, yeah. So the lineup here. This is by by way of sort of reintroducing you uh, slowly to mm. the idea of the live experience, I suppose. Now, being an elderly gentleman, I remember my first festival experience. I was about your age. You, are you twenty three now? I'm twenty three in October. You, see, not even twenty three, listeners. So I was a bit older than you. And funnily enough, the only reason I bring this up, I don't want this to be anything about me, but um, we pulled up, it was the Phoenix Festival uh, in Stratford, somewhere like that. Pulled up in the car and we got our tent out. And as we were putting the tent out, we could hear, it was like, this is important. I remember thinking, this is the first act that I'm going to hear at a festival and I'm going to go to many festivals in my life. And it was Van Morrison. That's so weird. I was going to write Van Morrison on my lineup. So Van's coming up on the lineup, is he for you? Is it would Van be somebody a touchstone for I you? I think Van, when you were in Stratford at the age of twenty three, mm. would be a Van I'd love to see. Yeah, don't know about watching Van now. Well, I would love to watch Van now, but and he obviously still has his pipes. But I just think that I have an issue with people that get moody during sets, and I I don't want to at Van because I love Van so much. Like he is one of my favorite artists in the world. Mm. But I just can't, like it really, like it just, it's an ick for me. Like we, we paid to see you and yeah. like we, we're all here with you and we're yeah. like your genuine fans. You know, this isn't, you know, when you go to a gig, especially a paid gig, you've invested your time and, and money and your spiritual connection with this person's music. And then they're kind of like a bit moody. It just makes me feel a bit... Bit upset. <laughs> That's not your vibe when you're playing live, is it? Not at my own gigs, never. But it might be a thing where at a festival or at a kind of like a gig that people haven't necessarily... And it's not an ego thing for me. Sometimes it's like you don't have as much time to sound check or this, that and the mm. other. But to be honest with you, it's something I really actively try not to do as I've gotten older and more experience within gigs because just my least favourite gigs have been like, you know going to see someone I love and they're just like unhappy the whole yeah. time and it's like of course you you have every reason if you want to be unhappy to be unhappy but just like complaining or this that and the other it's like we're all here to see you like we're meant to <laughs> what we're meant to do like it makes me feel a bit powerless and like upset that they don't realise how much love is yeah. in that room or space. I've been at gigs like that where the artist is who shall remain nameless is berating the audience because they don't think that their response is good enough or it's, you know, they're sort of a critiquing the audience response. Come on, you fuckers! That's yeah. not good enough! Yeah. I didn't come out for this! Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. It, you know, this is this is Sometimes outrageous. I bully them a little bit to get them to sing a little more. I like more, that. I saw you, but yeah. But that's, that's just, a, it's a charming thing. It's not a thing where I'm like actually no. bullying my audience. That's good natured, isn't it? That's you sort of teasing out the best performance from it. I saw you doing Don't Let 
Let Me Down. Yeah. Uh, just you and the guitar, such a beautiful version. And you were doing that. I can't remember where it was now, but it was... Um, I always do it with that song now. I'm you, always telling people, come on, great. come on. Yeah, because you, you, you can give me even more. Yeah. Um, so there you go, you see. We'll come back to Van, I'm sure. And uh, he's been hiding in plain sight as a grump since the early 60s. That, <laughs> that much is, is certain. We've we sort of always known it. But what were the young you's first live musical experiences? Did you get, ever get taken to things when you were younger and stuff? Or I did. It was uh, very polarising. Um, I had a mum take me to take that gigs because she fancied Mark. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And the whole thing would be like watching a football match with someone that doesn't watch football but finds all the players hot. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how it felt. That's me. Like, I was just like, oh, goodness sake. Like, but then I'd, then I'd go to like festivals with my dad and I think the youngest memory of a festival was Latitude. I went in 2009. So I would have been 10. And I remember I'm standing in this field and I'm looking up and I'm like, this woman has hula hooped for 20 minutes and my dad's like sure she's she can still hula hoop just like she could when she was young and I said daddy who is this woman he said this is Grace Jones I can't believe it and I said I'm obsessed and I remember just I will never forget it was like you could see the dribble come out my mouth (laughs) I was like look at this woman this like unapologetic, beautiful, powerful woman. What age is she there? At this point, I, I mean, we could work out the maths, but she would have been in like her 60s or yeah. 50s. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And I remember just being, I, I couldn't even dance. I was just besotted by her. And I'd never seen, you know, in my head, I think I associated festivals with like indie white boy bands, yeah. la 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 la, like um, a little bit like intimidating for me. And I, you know, I don't really feel at, at home or, or I don't, should I stand too close? No, I don't really want to get involved with that. Da, da, da. But when it was Grace Jones, I just felt so like I belonged there. And watching her fearlessness, like I was just. Yeah, I just felt wow. I felt a lot of things. And I'll never forget that. I was literally dribbling because my mouth was just open. So with that, I mean, this is the thing, because, of course, Grace, she comes into things, you know, sort of via disco and things that you would expect, but she's she's the ultimate Af- Afro-futurist, isn't she? she? She's a woman who completely bossed every single situation that she was in. And the voice, of course, is just... On top of everything else, there's something mesmeric about her voice, isn't there? She's just got... Well, it's the ownership. And I think the thing about Grace is that everything she does, she does with ownership. The way she speaks, the way she looks. And when I say look, I mean the way she looks at people. Yeah. The way she dresses, the way she covers her head, the way she doesn't cover her head. Every single thing she does is done with ownership. I am obsessed with that I'm obsessed with how much ownership she has of her identity and I'm obsessed with interviewers asking her stupid questions and and then watching the ownership ooze Do you, it reminds me of the, the, the there's a classic moment back in the, the early 80s when she basically physically attacks Russell Harty because he, he's asked her a couple of stupid questions and she just starts she just basically starts hitting him, him and he's like oh this is funny oh no it's not she's actually hurting me it's absolutely brilliant I think we can take it then that that set a fire within you. Yeah. And, and that was also a formative festival experience and a formative 
Grace Jones experience. Yeah. I think for me, like, the reason why when I walked in here and told you to watch Summer of Soul as well is because my um, musical education and very much my independent musical education was discovering YouTube. And once I discovered YouTube, I discovered that you could look at these videos of people like, or women like Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Billie Holiday, Nina Simone, and these obscure performances of these very unapologetic black women and I'm really into history so having the historical context of these performances knowing that in some of the places that they were performing they wouldn't be allowed necessarily to be punters in it created uh, like a fire Mm. and I'm watching these videos and there's this fire and I'm not saying that my experience as a brown woman is the same experience but even a shared experience with these narratives was a really important education for me really important education and, and you know a woman singing Mississippi goddamn in a time where saying goddamn was like yeah. as a punchy word it did so much to me so seeing Grace Jones as much as she's not a jazz artist but a black woman up on stage being so incredibly unapologetic it meant a lot for me and I think a lot of people talk about did you feel represented when you were young you see this and we yeah I had MIA but like for me representation is beyond someone looking like me it's the the, what they're saying and what they're thinking and, and what their art is doing and I felt very represented by these black female jazz singers then seeing someone like Grace Jones hula hoop for however long abandon like age standards, abandoned stereotypes to do with her, um, how she dressed, how androgynous she was, or she is. It just was very, very inspiring. Mm. It was definitely a fire. Now, I am your festival genie, right? So I'm here to conjure up this sort of perfect festival day from dawn Mm. till dusk and beyond, obviously. We can go anywhere, we can book anyone, Mm -hmm. we can make anything happen. So we just need five acts from you, living or dead, that you would like to see perform. Um, and, and that's where we're going to start off, right? But there have been loads of London festivals over the last 20 years, obviously, but what we're about to put on, your festival for your day, yeah. where in the world is it? You can put it anywhere. South London. <laughs> <laughs> I like to know that I'm near home. Yeah, okay, so you can go home at the end of the night. Is that well, what the yeah, idea is? Yeah, I like is? going home. I, in general, I like to go home. I'm not the biggest... Yeah, I'm that one. One of those. People. I don't really love camping. I put that out there. I'm I was going to. That's the first question, really. Is you're not. You're not a big tent slinger. No, no, no. I'm not. And also, I have like incredible copious amounts of anxiety, <laughs> um, and like I really struggle with crowds. Yeah. Okay. And I'll I've had that. plenty of panic attack at festivals yeah. and stuff. So t- for me, mentally knowing that I, there is a leave yeah. and I know where I can leave okay. makes me enjoy everything so much more. I know that is mental, but it is just the honest truth. I've just learned that in the hard way yeah. that I need to know that there's an exit. Otherwise, I will <laughs> just feel like it's enough. I get that. I mean, because it's completely fictional, what I can do is I can, we've commissioned one of the first flying Ubers so I can I can sort of uh, I've just got you on my on my phone and, and I can just find you wherever no, it has you to be are. In, has to be in South London. Well, uh, we, we need to do a bit of work here because we need to call the festival something. That's that's another job that we've just got. joy. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad, yeah, glad yeah, you said yeah. that yeah, because I've written things down. Like because apparently you're well, we know that your YouTube handle, as elderly people call it, is Joyo Joyo and stuff. Oh, it is, isn't it? Oh no, my other one's Joy Loves Ali G. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. But but we think just calling it joy. Do you think that? I think so. 
it says everything we want to Well, to it's just everything you'd want out of a festival experience, isn't it? Joy. <laughs> and he, okay, let me be the 916th person to ask you this, but there's things such as nominative determinism. Uh, you know, if my name was Steve Grumpy Trousers, it's a possibility that I'd become quite a grumpy person, you know. Do you think that Joy has helped you become a joyous person? I think it's a really ironic name, personally. Um <laughs> And I think from the beginning, it's been ironic because unfortunately, my mum almost died when I was born. Wow. Um, my mum was pretty close to the end when I was born. So my whole thing, my whole life has been like, why the, why would you call me Joy? <laughs> Out of the least joyous experience. Yeah, like, I almost killed you. <laughs> <laughs> but near death's not as nice a name as Joy, is it? There's something kind of like weirdly um, Quentin Tarantino about being called Joy and the amount of gore that uh, took place at God. that time. So, I mean, apparently, right, pa- allegedly, I don't believe this story, but allegedly they heard Isaac Hayes' joy in the ambulance. I don't know whether they were going to the hospital to have me. I don't know what was going on. But they said they heard Isaac Hayes' joy in an ambulance. Now, between you and I, it's a 16-minute song. Where is the radio edit for a 16-minute song. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. So we Mm. both know what happened in that 16 minutes and it was not in an ambulance, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) It doesn't bear thinking about, but then I am thinking about it. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? Let the day begin. What we're beginning with is the dawn chorus, okay? So it's a beautiful summer morning in Brockwell Park. Mm -hmm. There is dew on the grass. Uh, The sun is just creeping above the trees. Um, Petrichor. Petrichor. Is that the smell of when rain Rain after a long dry season. Yeah, it's a good smell, isn't it? Is that one of your faves? Yeah, I mean, I'd just be sniffing that up. Okay, so we've just we, that's it. There's been a rain burst, and then we, we can hear the the the, the dawn chorus of the, the the birds in the trees. It's quite beautiful. What's the what's the first thing that you want to do? First of all, let's think about food. I like to get straight in with food because mm-hmm. I, are you the kind of person who likes to eat pretty much as soon as they get up, or do you like a little bit of time to to come round? And once you do, what are we eating at a festival? Hmm. Got to have something fresh, I think. But I do love a greasy. I do love. I, I do love anything that's battered. Mm, mm. God. Well, I love a. I love fat. I think Vietnamese sprung to mind. Oh yeah. You can eat like a summer roll, not feel like. Yeah, yeah. Crap afterwards. With uh, that kind of Southeast Asian food, you can have both things, can't you? You can have fresh and you can have battered. Fried, yeah. And I think that's like a beautiful kind of harmony. Mm. You know, when you introduce Ireland to Bangladesh, I think there's a there's a fantastic world where fried and fresh meets. <laughs> and this, I think that's who I am. Well, you... Um, fried you, and fresh. Fried fried and fresh. Yes. With Joy Crooks. Like, uh, I, could, I could down a battered sausage, but at the same time... You give me some dal, oh, and uh, and you know just a little, maybe a little South Indian street food, you know, mm. samosa chaat, pani puri, something like nice and uh, and and light on the soul. Oh, I'm, I'm a masala dal, so we could we could go. Yeah, for, I mean, we? any day. Yeah, because yeah. they do them at festivals. They yeah. do because that's a good potato amount with the old gram flour, yeah. um, um, crepe situation, and and we're good to go. 
later would it be a thing that we might have churros, but like later in the day? I'm allergic. Oh, what, uh, what, what, what gluten, of, like, gluten. gluten, that's why I said gram flour. Right, let yeah. me write this down for later, gluten cool. yeah, intolerance. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I actually, I like churros, but let's, 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 I think it's coming home, you know, so I think fried donuts. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So it, that's good. We've made a sort of culinary start. Yeah. Oh, let me ask you a bit about that, because it's your dad who's Irish, your mum who's Bangladeshi. Correct. Is it fair to say that your dad then was the, was the guy, thinking about the Take That Mark Owen story, was the guy who brought a lot of the musical culture to you, Dora? Well, they both did, but just in different ways. Yeah. Like, my mum loved Take That, but she also loved Justin Timberlake. And if I didn't know about Justin Timberlake, then I wouldn't know about Timberland. Then I wouldn't know about Nelly Furtado and that kind of, like, 90s to early 2000s era of music that I adore. But then with my dad... And then, like, she would listen to, like, Sufi music as well, Kowali, and, like, Kowali music. It's, like, some of my favourite music in the whole world. Um, and my dad would be listening to Kowali too. And then I guess he had more proximity to stuff like festivals and going to gigs. And I think she had that less. And I think only because, as an ethnic person, I noticed that when I do go to gigs or festivals, like, we are, like, a we can be a minority. And I think that, sometimes it's not like gigs and festivals aren't accessible enough to uh, people of all different backgrounds and places so my dad definitely made me feel yeah. like I belonged in any of those spaces and my mum loved you know O2 Arena yeah which is fine <laughs> yeah yeah like it's absolutely fine but yeah like HMV was abused every really? Wednesday night yeah with my dad like we would go to HMV and we would just rip through all those albums so w w when they had the listening posts is that listening what you listening posts but also we'd just be cussing out with the um, the actually arguing the with the guys behind fellas. the counter yeah yeah I remember when James Blake released his first album and this guy was like I'm not really sure about his voice and I was like you don't like his voice go and sing try and sing like him then go on then <laughs> and he was like alright well <laughs> And I just like well, I remember defending James Blake with my life. When how old would you have been at this point? When did his first album come? Twenty fourteen, wasn't it? I suppose. No, it was before that. Was it? I reckon twenty twelve ish, maybe. I would have been like thirteen. Yeah. When HMV was open. Balling out this guy in HMV till like, he cried. Listen, like call yourself an expert. You haven't got a clue. Sing like him. Where's your pipes? And then yeah. I can do. I don't want to lock my dreams anymore. I don't think that there's any similarity there, okay. but I appreciate the effort. It's worth a go, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, we've got our uh, fried and fresh fun food. Yeah, but we need fun fair rides. Great. This is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, because you mentioned Latitude. Latitude's a good vibe, isn't it? Because it's got the lake and people are sort of punting on the lake. Oh, it's it is all right. I mean, it's a bit like. I like Latitude a lot. I don't know if I. It's my model. First what of would, all. Yeah, what would be more your speed then as far as... The I guess like a mini Glastonbury. Mm. Yeah. I guess everyone would say that. But, but also I've been to like really weird obscure festivals in like woods in Belgium and they've been amazing too. I quite like the idea of it being a small festival and not many people knowing about it. But with fairground rides. And tree houses. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay. Okay, right. fairground rides. We're talking the swings that go up in the air and fling you around. We're talking nothing that makes you too dizzy because then obviously the churro yeah. will hit different. And then, what else? Teacup rides? No. Guess no, no, people no, want to come down? No, no, nothing, no. Nothing, that's too twee. No, that's far too twee. What about, though, the, uh, what's the... What, the slingshot? No, you know, why can, why can I not think of the word? You know, it's a big tall... You look like you're doing a Selena dance move. You know, the big tall slide. 
that spins oh, round. Yeah, yeah, I like slides. I can work with that. I'd say slides were a good shout, a bit like when Tate Modern did slides. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So yeah. slides are good. Yeah. So we, we'll get some of those in. So that's good. So the sun's coming up. We're on the slides. We've got mm-hmm. the fried, fried and fresh food. Yep. Music. What's the first thing that we're going to hear? I think we're going to walk in and we're going to hear the clash. Oh my God. What a brilliant start. Yeah. The clash. We're going to listen to Revolution Rock's going to come on. But no, no, no. First, it's going to be straight to hell. So you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm walking into this festival. Jesus. And you're like, oh. You know, like it feels like a film, you yeah. know? And there's always going to be one person that's like, oh my God, is that MIA? Because MIA, yeah, yeah, obviously, of course, she, she And then I'm going to eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not garbage, mate. It's, uh, you know, it's train in vain. Okay, just get your samples the right way round. So you walk in, you've got fried and fresh. You're in Brockwell Park. Yeah. It's about eight o'clock in the morning. There are people on Helter Skelters. Helter Skelters. And, and, and the Clash are playing mm. straight to hell. Yeah. That's a pretty good start. I think that's a good start. That's absolutely brilliant start. And style. someone goes, it ain't Coca-Cola, it's rice. And then you just think about the Vietnam War for about two and a half minutes. <sighs> the horror, the yeah. horror. And then I'm just thinking about a slightly overweight Marlon Brando getting paid a million pounds for five minutes work. I don't know why. I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. And I also think about the Charlie Don't Surf uh, scene. Oh, so then actually, you know what? It could be Straight to Hell and then it's a mashup. So it goes from Straight to Hell into Charlie Don't Surf. Oh. And then you get that 1950s kind of rock and roll mm. situation happening and your knees start going and then you're looking at the Vietnamese food different. Oh. Then the fried... the fried. Um, well, I'd say we get banana fritters involved too. Okay. So the banana fritters are just looking like they're going to slap differently. Everything's just looking like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I love that. Charlie don't surf and then you're eating Vietnamese food, but then... Oh, oh. my goodness. No, 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 that's not good. Yeah. I just could... No, I just realised the link there. Mm. I didn't choose Vietnamese food because they're playing yeah. songs about <laughs> Vietnam. No, 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 no. That's how the mercurial is, mind works, this, though, isn't it? This is getting far too <laughs> This is a man. heavy trip and it's not oh, even 9am. So, what would be the the festival moment? Moving on to like the sort of best and best of times and worst of times of festivals. You mentioned Glastonbury as well. Mm. What what festivals have you played uh, yourself? I played Glastonbury. What, uh, was that twenty nineteen? Actually, mm-hmm. I saw you with your Epiphone Les Paul Custom. Beautiful. You, you do play some very beautiful guitars, very beautifully. I have to say, oh, we, thanks. We were there actually. Um, in in 2019, it was it was a very sunny and beautiful time, wasn't it? Yeah, I wish I enjoyed it more. I could say the same about 2019. I, I don't know what I I feels like. I really didn't, but I had moments of fun, but I didn't really have like that much fun there. And I think that's for me that's the danger with going to places where you're expected to have fun. It's like it almost feels like a pressure to have a good time. And that's why I like smaller festivals and I like knowing where home is because actually I find that that kind of like milking of a cow that has no juices is just not a nice feeling at the end. That's such a, that, it's weird that you should mention that. I'm not saying this just to try and be pals, but like that's exactly what my experience was of, of that particular festival, but, but also lots of other experiences. It's a bit like the New Year's Eve factor, isn't it? Like you're saying when there's a massive expectation to enjoy... <laughs> It sort of removes the enjoyment sometimes. My best New Year's Eve was when my family forgot it was New Year's Eve. <laughs> you tell us about that no, one. Well, I was in Bangladesh, right? And Bangladesh alcohol is um, prohibited. Right? It's, you're not, it's a Muslim country. Um, you're not allowed fireworks. I wasn't in the capital city. 
So where all of the things, the capital city is the most densely populated city in the world. So New Year's is very different there. But I was in like a city just outside the capital and I'd just been draped in a sari by my second cousins. And I kept looking at the time and I was like, right, we're almost there, we're almost there, we're almost at midnight. No one gave a flying goat. I said, right, so should we go upstairs then? The thing about in Bangladesh is it's really normal to hang out on rooftops. I think because it's so densely populated, you end up just hanging out up instead of on the ground. So I went up to the rooftop and I did the whole 54321. You couldn't hear anyone say 54321. And just at midnight, all you could see was just lanterns go up into the sky. And I stayed out till 10 past midnight and I went to bed. And that's the best one? That's the best one. It does sound like the best one. Went on Instagram the next day and watched everyone pretending to have the best time of their life and decide that they're vegan and gluten-free and all these things. And I just was like, you know what? I couldn't have started a year any better. Yeah. And it really did foreshadow the rest of my year. My That was a beautiful year I had. That's I had a lot of pain. When I was in Bangladesh, I'd just gone through my first ever big breakup. But actually, the year was a fantastic year. Do you think that was something to do with setting off on the right foot? I think so. I mean, I don't like to put everything onto that one mm. moment of me in a soft tissue sari celebrating New Year's with no one giving a flying about it. But it was really special. It sounds amazing. You don't really forget stuff like that. And also, I think whenever you just decide, nah, I don't really want to do this or I don't really want to pretend or I don't really want to have to like be forced into thinking I need to have fun, yeah. is when you have the best time, I think. That's one thing that I've learned in the pandemic is if I don't want to go, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm nearly 50 and I still haven't fully learned that lesson. So I think it's brilliant that you've you've got your head around that one already. You've mm. just got to, you've got to get those boundaries in. You've got to say no nope, and mm-hmm. you don't want to do it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Who, who would be in your festival? I hate to use the word crew. It makes me sound like the nearly 50-year-old that I am. Mm-hmm. But... We're at this perfect festival. What friends would I be? Yeah, who's it going to be in this? In I've this... had the same friends for years and years. Those guys? Yeah. It's, it's just the nearest and the dearest always. We, I read that your grand might be quite good to bring along as well. Yeah, you... she's got one hell of a face when she's watching music. She also breaks into dance at just random points, which is quite fun. <laughs> she, I don't know how anyone can do Bollywood for... To, like, she could do Bollywood to grime. Uh, maybe she needs her own tent at the Joy Festival. Mm-hmm. Who's the next act? We've had we've had the clash. Yes, we, I we guess have. we're moving to mid morning now. Okay, well we're gonna go. We're gonna have Billy Holiday at oh, at dusk. So when the sun's coming down. Okay, hang on a minute then. So we've we've had the clash to begin with. Mm-hmm. You want Billy Holiday later in the day for yeah. the sundowner. Yeah. So what? Who who shall we have though? Sort of in the next slot after the clash. Whenever you want, it's up to you when you want it. But we we need somebody around that sort of lunchtime spot where I guess we're trying to get people motivated to get out of their tents to get you know Prince. to get Prince yeah. he's going to be pretty hard to beat isn't he yeah and he's going to start off with Sign of the Times bloody hell 
Yeah, Francis Skinny Man, dad of big C's with a little name. And you're like, right, I'm unzipping this Halford's tent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unzipping this Halford's tent. It's getting a bit warm anyway now, to be honest. This guy's worth seeing. Mm -hmm. Did you, um, what was your, you know, your sort of introduction to Prince and why does he mean so much? I mean, it's obvious why he means so much to everybody, but it's a daft question, but to you. I don't even remember. Just is he always? He's just always been there, like oxygen. I think no, no. I think it was later on. I think it was when I was a teenager he started to appear. But it was sign of the times. That was the first album I owned. Like I knew all the obvious songs, but I love when doves cry because a lot of people don't realise the songs about an argument. I used to listen to that and think about my relatives. And then I got Sign of the Times and Starfish and Coffee is one of my favourite songs. And then obviously Sign of the Times is like lyrical genius. So so Prince is there mm-hmm. and he's... he's. Do you think we should get him to play like a lot of artists do these days, like whole albums? Should we get him to just play Sign of the Times? I think we'll just let him have a nine-hour set. It'll be fine. Did you ever get? Did you get to see him when he did all those hit and run gigs and stuff? No, I also almost got the chance to meet him, and that didn't fucking happen, did oh it? Oh my god! I know. It's so awful to think about these misstops, isn't it? Well, the thing that's the saddest, I think, with Prince is that like he really supported female artists um, in the music industry in the UK and America and kind of across the world, and I reckon that I could have potentially almost been able to meet him and it just makes me so sad thinking about it just because of the link with my mama yeah and then um just how much he supported up-and-coming female artists well i certainly know a good, a good old mate of mine leanne le havas was sort of yeah because he was in her like yeah, living room he was a, good, a, a friend of ours interviewed him in leanne's front room but he refused to. Uh, he said, just as Matt was getting his recorder out, he said, "No, no, no, put that away." He just and he's like, "I'm going to have to try and remember everything that he says now," yeah. um, which he attempted to do, you know. Uh, but but again, these mercurial geniuses. It's like meeting P- Picasso or something, isn't it? You're talking well, about I these generational talents. I met Mick Jones after I finished reading a book about the Clash when I was 14. I was in my Connor Academy of Irish Dancing get up. He thought I was asking him for directions and I was crying. <laughs> I saw Mick Jones nursing half a pint in a pub in Labrook Grove once in 2004. It's one of the best moments of my he life. St- he still does that. He's always around Westway. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just love the fact, a bit you like you and South London. You can Portobello and see him. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost like an attraction. Yeah. You know. So that's great. We're, we've got the crew. Yeah. Grand's the Bollywood in a way. Mm-hmm. Prince is playing a nine. He's playing a nine-hour set, but we're, we're having to sort of rotate the the stage a little bit and move him off. He's sort of on a sort of moving stage mm-hmm. because otherwise we just see nothing but Prince, which wouldn't be a bad thing. There's lots of disappearing guitars as well. Okay, actually disappearing. Yeah, he just throws them anywhere and then they're gone. Wow. Yeah. Like into the ether. Yeah. Can he can he summon a guitar as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just thinks fifty-seven strat, bang. Boom. Oh, Christ. Yeah. I'm still working on that skill, but I've not quite managed it yet. If Prince does nine hours, he might go into a Batman set, uh, which you're a bit nervous about. But then there's the lull. There's an inevitable lull. You've obviously been a festival goer yourself. When you are there, do you sometimes get a bit overexcited, have a few cocktails? I hate cocktails. Do you? Yeah, I really don't like cocktails. Well, not even an espresso martini? (laughs) I'll drink it if it's there, but like... That's my motto, by the way. <laughs> I don't want your caipirina. Yeah, Pour exactly. it away. Exactly. I actually don't mind them. 
because they're not that sweet. They're a bit fresh. Yeah, they're fresh. I don't like a mojito. A mojito. Mojito. Because it's not, like, why are you pretending we're at a resort and we're not? We're in Brockwell Park. <laughs> we're running out of mint. I love hearing that. I love hearing bartenders say we're that. We're running out of mint. We're running out of mint. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Just give me a give me a pint of Peroni for crying out loud. Literally, I'd be absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I must ask then, you know, just before we hit the lull in the afternoon, mm. what's your poison? What are you doing when you, you're having a little drink here and there I reckon you know what I always drink vodka clean yeah it's nice and clean and it's kind of refreshing as well if you have it with soda and a bit of lime or um, yeah. and you just feel like you're getting hydrated when really something else is going on <laughs> <laughs> absolutely sideways at this point mm-hmm. um, well so okay and, and in this little period it, it's you know we might be at mid-afternoon now and the sun's been beating down for quite some time this perfect summer it's not summer nice day. to be drunk that, in that yeah. much heat yeah so what are we going to do to calm down at this point what are we going to do we have the, like one of those tents where I think uh, we have a dance battle oh crikey yeah what would you, would your crew be into this? I take it. One hundred percent resurgence of energy. Yeah, yeah. Is that one way of getting it all going again? Yeah, and like to watch other people dance is like one of the most joyous things in the whole world. Not me. Like, you wouldn't be what if you, if no, you saw me doing it. No, but even people that don't that. know how to dance, it's quite fun to watch people just have a just have a go. It's like watching somebody who's just had his central nervous system taken out the top of his head by an alien watching <laughs> me dance. Okay, then let me let me throw this in. To to uh, sort of beat the lull, yeah. we've got a special tent and there's a DJ in it. DJ. Who would it? Who would be good to do that to get you dancing? Um, either Donna Leek or <laughs> DJ Minara. Okay, these are good new names to me. Yeah. DJ Minara. Yeah, Minara's incredible. What kind of? Uh, she can like mix like Bashment with like Afrobeats with like um, Bollywood. Okay. Yeah, okay. she just like there's no genre she doesn't know how to work with. Okay. And it's amazing. Just so much. You just feel so good listening to her sets. And Donna spins vinyl, and her vinyl is just sick as well. Would there be an Irish dancing moment? I don't. I think we should just move forward. <laughs> I'm talking more about me, to be honest. Than I, you, I think but... you know what. I think you know what. We could we could ask the Connor Academy of Irish Dancing, which is the Irish Dancing Academy I used to go to. We could ask them to do a display for us. Oh, that's okay. That's what it's called, yeah. a display. So, you know, good like, we'd do like a solid 15-minute display. That means you get the hard shoes, you get the soft shoes, you get the like young seven-year-old that's like dancing on two left feet, but you have to go, oh, <laughs> two. Like, we get all of that. Oh. Yeah. Would that make you impossibly uh, nostalgic and, and wet-eyed to see that happen? No, because I actually Christ. take my little brothers to Irish dancing, okay. so I mean, I see it quite see often. It, see, you probably see it too much, if yeah. anything. I'd like, I, I moved into my new flat and I tried to Irish dance and it, it was nice to know my knees could still do that. <laughs> How are you doing out there? Are you ready for the next act of the day? So that's beautiful, you see. We've we've had the clash. Mm-hmm. Prince is still um, making guitars disappear and reappear. He's somewhere on the other side of Brockwell Park now. Yeah. He's moving stage. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what era he's playing at the moment. Mm. DJ Minara is banging out a set, and then we come up to the sunset moment. 
So what I want you to imagine is... The, the... Nina, Simone. Okay, look at that. We're not messing about here. Nina Simone at sunset. Describe to me Nina's emotional effect on you as a as a, as a musician, as a person. Just she didn't care and she cared all at the same time. And I think someone described, in Summer of Soul, someone described her voice as hopeful and mourning all at the same time. That's like the definition of truth to me because you acknowledge that something isn't right. But then at the same time, you're you're aware that because you can see that, it means that there should be a solution or there should be some way to move forward. She gets, she used to say, okay, yeah, yeah, now the spirit's moving, now the spirit's moving to her musicians. And actually, I think that the highest I've ever felt in, at times in life has been through watching sets like that, where you really just feel like you're transcending yeah. because of the music and because of the power of the music and, and that experience and the rooting and the grounding of that experience. And I think that leaves me feeling like a wealthy person when I leave sets like that. Because yeah. it, it reminds me of, um, reminds me to think of... Um, I think it was Mont Montreux jazz, wasn't mm -hmm. it? So, some of the music that she performed there, and that, that there's a sort of transcendent nature to it, as you mm -hmm. say, isn't there? It's almost, it's a bit like when that connection to a, a feeling of religion, mm -hmm. uh, of gospel music, mm -hmm. uh, and, and how gospel moves into soul music. Mm -hmm. That that whole nexus there is is what Nina Simone seems to mind, doesn't she? It's mm -hmm. that the darker side of human nature alongside the the joy. It's mm -hmm. all it's all mixed into three or four or five or seven minutes of a yeah, song, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I had that last night. Went to this blues bar I was going to, and a lot of it is just very B Tech blues, and then. <laughs> That's such a great phrase, B Tech, Tech Blues. And then there's this fella called Johnny, and he gets on and he plays this beautiful custom telly, and mm -hmm. he just he just knows he just he just knows, and you just you're in. And it's funny moving. the difference that I guess it. Do you think it doesn't really matter where a person comes from either, what the background mm -hmm, is? Mm -hmm. It's either like in there builder. or not. He's like a builder or something. His name's Johnny, and he has this custom telly. But when he plays, God. it's so tasteful. And you've got other people doing wham solos beside him. He's just not interested. He is there to feel. And when he feels, you feel whether you want to or not. His name is Johnny O'Carroll. But um, guitarist is very, it's few and far between. I know what you mean. Me. I mean, I've been it's playing just since I was a kid, sometimes. Yeah. It's like you do that in your bedroom. Don't do that here. <laughs> I don't want you to see it. You don't masturbate in front of a lot of, uh, oh, 80, 80 people in a blues bar. I'm Why so would tired. you do that here? I'm tired. And the faces, no, it's unfucking necessary. <laughs> That's why I never learned how to, I can solo. I never solo. Okay. I get that. So we've got, look at that. Nina Simone is playing the sunset moment. Uh, Johnny O'Carroll brings his telecaster out and she beckons him over and they, they finish the set. Mm -hmm. We then move in to. The headliner. This is it. This is the finale. Okay. This is the big one. We've already had the clash. We've had the prince. We've had DJ Minora. We've had a dance off. And Nina Simone mm -hmm. has played. Uh, we're closing off now. So it's going to be it's difficult to top that lot, really, isn't it? But well, we, we still have Billy and Grace. So Billy's going to, we're going to have a set from Billy and it's going to be late and it's going to be like red wine hour. You know what I mean? Like, mm. right, I'm going to need a couple. I'm going to need a couple of red wines and, and just some truth. And then we're going to close off with Grace. 
Pull up to the bump, baby. And Sly and Robbie are going to be Sly on stage. Sly and Robbie. stage with or a rhythm section. I've seen them play. Have you? Yeah, what Jazz Cafe like? 2018. Oh, why wasn't I there for that? Yeah, because lots of people didn't realise they were playing, but they are playing with like some, like I don't want to say weird, but Scandinavian bloke. It was a bit like, <laughs> well, this is a clash of cultures. I didn't know I needed. <laughs> I avoid stand, avoided standing in the front and watching the main like guy. I was just, I was actually just on. You know how you can climb, go around the pillar, yeah. and basically be beside the drummer. Oh wow! I was just beside Sly the whole time. I just wanted to cry as the spirit was moving. When you listen to those classic Grace records, like you say, you listen to something like "Slave to the Rhythm" for me. That's one of the most incredible. But you listen to of like Black Uhuru ever. as well, and mm. all of the like um, bands that Sly and Robbie had worked with, Black Uhuru. They did stuff with Sinead O'Connor. It's unmatched. It's like my favourite rhythm section in the world. I mean, it goes to show how strong the day is that we've kind of almost glanced over Billy. I guess it, in a sense because there's what what what, can, what you can say about Billy Holiday that's not already been said seems it seems impossible to find. But ju- just to cap that off in the Red Wine Hour, what does she, what does she bring to you as a, as an artist and a human that makes you feel that she's just so singular? Probably knowing as much as I know about her life. Mm. And I think that the beautiful thing about Billie Holiday is she wore these flowers in her hair and I think the stereotype is like, or the assumption with Billie Holiday is, oh, she was one of, you know, one of the very sweet, the way that she performed was, you know, very beautiful, elegant, la, 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 la. What I love about Billie is the juxtaposition between her life and how she was on stage, how she carried herself on stage and then what was going on behind the scenes. It was just like, how do you make a bombsite look like a florist? (laughs) Like you've touched on before, any black artist of that era would have been living daily through some of the most... I don't know if you've read her book. I haven't read it, actually. It's shocking. And I've heard all sorts of stories. It's shocking. Even how Strange Fruit came about is shocking. The whole thing is she wrote the book. No one knows that she's written a mm. book. It's called Lady Sings the Blues. It's not a particularly long book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I actually was fortunate enough to read some of it in New York, which is obviously a massive backdrop for Billie Holiday. I'm not going to say too much. It's just by the 16th page, my gob was just, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't. I just couldn't believe that she'd survived past 15 to be honest with you do you think that some artists they burn so bright artistically but what sometimes they're having to do is burn up the energy of their own lives in a sense you know it's, it's a bit like that and probably over romanticizing it i was going to say it's the opposite I, I think that she what i learned from reading her book is that everything was just natural it just happened even how how she ended up singing Strange Fruit. And I don't know if... A lot of people don't know who wrote Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit was written by, like, a Jewish professor in New York. It was a poem that got published in the university paper. And a lot of people, a lot of his friends at the time had said that he was showing really, really strong signs of, like, darkness. He was not in a good place mentally. And he'd been seeing these images of people being lynched and he'd never actually seen someone lynched in in real life. He he was from New York. He wasn't in the South. And it hit him so hard. And people, all of his friends were saying, you know, like, he just wasn't himself. And he really, really, like, it really took a toll on him to see this. You know, he's a white man. And so he wrote Strange Fruit. And it got published in the newspaper or, like, the magazine of the university. And somehow... 
got to Billy through the New York kind of club scene. And how she wrought it and, and created this timeless piece of... It's haunting, isn't it? And so very beautiful. But then so much of her music is... There's so much joy, again, in there as well, to use... Uh, For sure. Such on the name. But but so that's what we, we're going to see in the sort of closer set. We're going to mm-hmm. see that incredible emotional heft and power, mm. but also the joy. Mm. And then into Grace Jones and her Afro-futurist spectacular. Mm-hmm. What a great way to finish. Sly and Robbie just funking the out of it right at the back till the very end mm-hmm. so how do we cap off the perfect day and night we, we, we've got to get Festival? a little bit of rhythm section in there we get like um, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan's players to come <sighs> in and play with Sly and Robbie because there's nothing wrong with like a strong percussion and rhythm section and then they basically do like one of them ones where they just instrumental it out into the night until yeah. you realise that you're back home and it's that's great so that's a great way to finish like actually a fade out almost like a conga in a sense, mm-hmm. we get the rhythm section, we get the drummers at the front, mm-hmm. and we essentially follow them out of the park, mm-hmm. and we drop you off at home. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, you know, we obviously get like permits from the. Yeah, we'll have to get the. We'll have to, I'll do. All, I'll make sure all the relevant paperwork sorted. Residential, out, joint. yes. Don't sleep, worry about that. Hours, yes. Oh, I've been working for nine months on that paperwork <laughs> by this point, <laughs> and of course, Prince is still in Brockwell Park he's making his way he's just he's, he's, I don't know what he's playing at the moment what a phenomenal experience it's been to enjoy the Joy Festival with Joy Crooks <laughs> no B-Tech Blues nope that's out I love that phrase I'm, with your permission I'm going to get a t-shirt with that written on it B-Tech Blues extraordinaire it sounds like a great description of my guitar playing Joy you, you know you, you've, you've made so much music already you know for people who are sort of relatively new to you all, all you have to do is Google or YouTube and, and Joy so much of it but uh, your debut album Skin comes out in October yeah. are you excited or nervous about it coming out how does it feel? I am lots of things I am excited I'm nervous which I think are just two sides of the same coin I feel like this is like one of the most special times of my life and I feel like I'm just trying to soak as much in that as possible I always tell my friends like myself that suffer from mental health issues that when you're in a high just make the most out of it take as much in as you can because it makes the low easier to ride out and the low is always inevitable but no it just feels like one of the most special times of my life like genuinely it's just really great to be part of it Joy and um, you know I want you to soak all that wonderful experience in like a a potato would soak up the spices in a masala dosa correct which we can go off and enjoy now as a nightcap Um, thank you so much for doing the lineup with us today thank you for having me on it was very much fun Joy Crooks thank you thank you